anyone wants to buy Monica a music stand for her birthday, uh, you could do that. Um, we came back uh, yesterday, about 72 of us from a uh, retreat uh, for our youth ministry, about 50 um, high school, middle school students, and about 20 um, college and singles and, and counselors and helpers. Um, and I just want to—I just want to uh, recognize some of the folks who served um, so faithfully in that time. Um, if you were a member of the praise team, could you stand up, praise team? Um, thank you, guys. Wonderful. Um, they served so faithfully, and James is. Uh, yeah, he was the most important person in that praise team. Uh, so thank you, James, for serving, playing your bass guitar in the back. It's awesome. Uh, for those who are um, small group leaders, can you guys stand up, all the small group leaders? All right. Thank you so much for taking um, the messages and the teachings and really um, helping them to be um, planted deeper into the hearts of our students. Uh, for anyone who served as team leaders, skit leaders, team leaders, can you guys stand up also? All right, for these wonderful, wonderful skits. And then we had some people who were serving in um, the kitchen. You know, there's a kitchen, there's a TV show that talks about the kitchen of a very hot place, and it's not a fun place to be. From what I hear, the kitchen of our retreat center was the opposite. It was a heavenly place. As I talk with some of these people, just how willingly and gladly, without any complaining, no questions asked, just picking up the pieces, doing whatever was needed, uh, led by head chef John Lee and sous chef Christopher Lee. Can all the kitchen crew please stand up so that we can recognize you guys? Thank you all. And it was our um, deep joy to hear the word of God through um, Pastor I.J. Kim, and it's my um, privilege and delight to be able to introduce uh, him to us. He is um, my spiritual father in the faith, my mentor, probably the deepest spiritual influence in me. He is um, the campus, <coughs> sorry, he's the executive director of Servants Ministry, which is a network of campus ministries that span the Washington, D.C., Virginia, Metro, D, uh, Maryland area. Um, campuses such as uh, William & Mary, where Yoon Young Lee was um, under his influence. Um, schools like um, James Madison University, where Olivia, um, Pastor Justin, Robin Cho, all grew under him. Um, schools like Virginia Tech, um, Pastor Cliff and others, George Mason University, um, Pastor Albert, Pastor Brian Mendoza, many other people. Um, he, he oversees about 10 to 15 schools in that area, um, and no doubt, um, God has been using him to produce kingdom workers over the past 20 years. And I was blessed in my second and my first year at the University of Virginia to have been under him as he came um, for his second year at the university where he was a campus minister and still is a campus pastor at the University of Virginia's Grace Christian Fellowship. And it was there that I gave my life to the Lord. Um, I found my calling through the ministry of Pastor IJ and his discipleship and mentoring in my life. Um, have shaped me so much. And everything that I know, about 98% of what I know about ministry has come from observing and walking with him. And remember long drives from Virginia up to Toronto, Canada to follow him and to be a, a small group leader at a retreat that he was ministering at. Um, times where at the end of retreats, um, I would be his chauffeur and that would, be my, that would be my delight to try and pick his brain and he would stay up as long as he could and then sometimes just knocking out mid-sentence. Um, because of his how tired he was and staying up and sleeping two hours in order to minister to people. 
and I learned what ministry was, and I learned about the call to sacrifice and to give um, my life away for the people of God. And, and in years, uh, recent years, I've had the joy of going back to his ministry and being able to minister to the ministry that has been so faithful in developing me as a person of God. Um, and this is the third time he's spoken at our youth retreat. And um, my deepest joy, my greatest joy is to have uh, my mentor and disciple in the faith speak to the congregation that is most dear to my heart um, up here at Harvard. So let's welcome Pastor Isaac to come to share the word of God with us. Thank you for that introduction, and thank you all for your um, worshiping the Lord God faithfully and and uh, such a uh, you know such a passionate way. And I recognize some of the familiar faces that I've uh, gotten to know uh, what for the past eleven some years uh, since uh, uh, um, our pastor David Larry. I call him Dave. Did you know that? <laughs> I just call him Dave. I don't know why, but um, you guys call him DL and in different ways and. Um, yeah, it's it's a joy. I, I you know he he's dear to me. The uh, and uh, sister Olive, they're so dear to me, and I am so comforted and I am so assured um, uh, by the fact that you guys love him and you are growing together in the Lord uh, with with them too, and and now the the little ones as well. And and um, just a, such a neat thing is happening uh, uh, season after season. And even though um, um, you guys uh, go through some difficult moments or because uh, life is so unpredictable in the midst of serving God, we face um, uh, uh, unforeseen things. And um, where, um, where we were up there, uh, like say a year and a half ago, um, um, we uh, ached with you, we prayed for you, and we sent some love offering as a token of um, support uh, to this congregation as well. And I just want to say that um, um, we are far away, you know, many, many miles away from each other, but we are in one spirit together in the Lord. And um, may the Lord God continue to do amazing things here in Central Florida and beyond all over the world through this congregation. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. yeah I think I should um, change my um, uh, email address uh, from now on because um, it is a brotherij at gmail.com or something like that, right? And then, um, but over the years, especially lately, people are saying that, oh, IJ, you've been like a father to me. I go, like, what? I'm still young. So um, <laughs> as students are graduating, like, they come to me and go, uh, Pastor IJ or IJ, you, you've been like a father to me. Like, hey, I'm still young. Don't call me like father. I'm like an older brother at most. But then uh, uh, I'm going to change to maybe Father IJ or something like that now um, at gmail.com. So we'll see. Um, but, um, we, you know, this Sunday morning, uh, we're going to just look into the scripture. Um, and um, I feel very honored and um, kind of like uh, almost a little overwhelmed that I'm speaking this uh, first um, Sunday service um, uh, of this congregation when I think uh, your lead pastor or senior pastor, um, um, Pastor DL, should be doing the, that. And it just happens that after retreat, um, I'm able to stay one more day to worship together with you and to really uh, share uh, what the Lord has laid upon my heart with this congregation here. So, um, uh, by the way, hi to the junior high students and uh, the middle school students and senior high students and all the counselors and college students again. Um, you thought I was gone, but just... Uh, for the last the day, this hour, I'm with you. Um, all the sixth graders I got to know, uh, who are they? Uh, CJ, Jonathan, Peter, Vincent, uh, uh, Daniel. And if I left anyone out, uh, um, come and say hi to me. I'll give you, uh, uh, what is that, a uh, sour patch kid, whatever. Uh, I'll try to look for some and share that with you. But, um, yeah, 
yeah, I was telling uh, Pastor Albert how when I'm with the little kids, I just act like one of them. Um, yeah, I'm trying to obey the command, uh, you know, be like a child, you know, have that childlike heart. But um, here we go. Let's look at the scripture. First uh, Kings and chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. <clears throat> this is uh, in the Old Testament, right? And I'll do the reading of this uh, passage and let's look at that together. First Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statues of his father, David, except that he offered sacrifices and uh, burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give. Uh, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have conti continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for, your, wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you. Nor will there ever be, uh, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. And God's people all said, Amen, Amen. I think it is very important that we read both the Old Testament, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. We have an understanding of the whole counsel of our Lord God. And I was told by Pastor D.L. and some of you that you, have, you will be part of or you're part of this um, 
or, or the Bible or reading plan or program that you're part of. If you're not part of it, I really encourage you to do that. If you read maybe three or four chapters, or I don't know what scheme you're following uh, with your church, but uh, however you go about it, but you know, within a year, you can really read the Bible from cover to cover. And it'll really bring a new understanding about how amazing God is. Not just somebody or guest speakers or your pastor or other leaders telling you how God, great God is, but let God speak direct, directly to you. And this morning, I want to talk on the topic of the heart of worship, the heart of worship. It is a, very, a sort of a title of a very well-known praise song that many of, uh, have, uh, of us have sung or uh, we are aware of as well. But I'm borrowing the title, and that's the uh, title of this message this morning, the heart of worship. And um, there are so many things in our walk with God that may be important, but if you have to really choose one, it is to worship God. It is to worship God. When Adam and Eve were created in an amazing way by God, when they forgot to acknowledge God as the, as the object of their worship, that's when they fell. They rather wanted to worship some other things, knowledge or other things. But most importantly, they wanted to have themselves in the place of God. And that, that's the moment when they stopped truly worshiping God. In turn, they ended up sinning. In turn, they ended up falling and facing the consequences of sin as well. Separation from God and physical and spiritual death. But as we look at this um, um, account here about Solomon's worship, May we get a greater sense, a little bit more understanding about what truly worshiping God is. Uh, first of all, background information here uh, about historical and other things. Solomon lived around 950 years before the time of Jesus Christ. Okay, a little bit about almost like 1,000 years before Jesus Christ. He, is the, uh, he was a son of David. As you know, David in the Bible was that famous king who ushered Israel into that glorious golden age, uh, one of prosperity and power, militarily, economically, and politically, and so many in different ways. Now, this great King David passed away. And now, Solomon, the teenager boy, the theologians and scholars think that he was about the age of 16 or 19, depending how you uh, figure out the uh, dating, but he was a very much a young man. So some of you who are senior high students, like junior or senior in your high school, guess what? That was the age of Solomon, most likely, when he took over father's place and became the king of Israel. So, and if you become a king, what would you do? You throw a big party or, or a huge inaugural ball or something like that? Or like invite buddies and give them a palace tour? Hey, this is my crib. <laughs> you know, that, that's what you might want to do, right? And, um, but then here is Solomon. The first act he does as a king is what? He wants to dedicate himself before the Lord God. He wants to really say, God, you are my king. You are my master. I'm a king, but I need you as the divine king. And that's what truly worship means for all true followers of Jesus Christ. And now let's look at some key lessons from Solomon's worship. A little bit in detail. There's about four things I want to talk about. One is this. Solomon's worship here, mentioned in this passage, is what? Was a genuinely sacrificial worship to God. It was a genuine worship to God. Um, we find that in verse 4. The king went to Gibeon, which was one of the hilly places where many people offer sacrifices to God. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices. For that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. 
Unlike the um, New Testament time praises and uh, worship we do, which involves pr- uh, praise, worship, listening to the message, and um, and uh, giving offerings offerings to, to God in in the, in the way of monetary and other ways, in the Old Testament, the primary way of expressing worship to God involved animal sacrifices. Now, people of different culture and throughout different uh, time historical frame, people did so-called animal sacrifices. But Jewish Israelite people's animal uh, sacrifices involved what? It was a worship to God. Uh, typically, when people of other cultures did uh, uh, various animal sacrifices, it was a way of appease. Like they were afraid of this God of thunder or whatever. And so do not, do not be angry with us or, or give us rain. So they would offer this animal sacrifice as a way of asking special favor or a special treatment from their deities. That was the uh, people's sort of pagan understanding of uh, sacrifices. Whereas Old Testament, the, the, the biblical portrayal of sacrifice was very different. It may involve a similar uh, outward look, but the heart of it was what? That we are unworthy to even come up, approach God. That God is the one who allow us to give us the understanding and ability and the opening of the door so that we can worship God. And all the Old Testament sacrifices, none of them were really making any of the givers of the sacrifices worthy to worship God. But rather, they were a reminder of God's mercy that will be fully displayed when Jesus comes later on in the, in the uh, New Testament time. So the, the sacrifices that Abraham made or other people made throughout the uh, Old Testament, they were a type foreshadowing of what will happen in the person of Jesus Christ. When he died on Calvary's cross, he will be the perfect sacrifice. And he will offer the perfect sacrifice before God so that through Jesus Christ, now we have way open. So that's why Jesus says, I am the, said, I am the way, the truth, and the, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. So that is the understanding of sacrifice. Now, in Solomon's case, what he's doing is this. As a, this a young king, just a newly installed king, what he does is that he offers sacrifices 1,000 times. Of, what that means is he had to slaughter 1,000 animals. Usually it was um, uh, someone like in a king's position, it was a killing of uh, a cow or cattle. So 1,000 of them. Most, majority of us here, right? You, we grew up in a suburb or, or city area, so we don't really do anything like that. And thank God that we're living in a New Testament time where we don't have to do this. Like, can you imagine past, uh, uh, brother, uh, Pastor DL and Pastor Albert as the high priests, right? They have to say, okay, watch we, you know, how we offer this. And then they have to start a fire and do a burnt offering to the Lord God every Sunday. Can you imagine that? Yeah, yeah. It'll be very uh, visibly uh, rem- memorable. And the thing is this, most of you um, uh, do not have that experience of seeing an animal getting slaughtered. Um, just like uh, I am like you as well in that way, except I had a chance one, uh, right after college go to Kenya and Uganda for seven and a half weeks. And then we were in a very remote place, um, the Maasai land. They are the uh, lion hunting tribal people. And then we were there for a couple of weeks and then we were not getting the enough 
protein and nutrients. As uh, we were eating primarily what's called the ugali, which is like a, their version of this like a flour uh, that, that, that they do. And they don't put any seasoning. And initially we're, it was exotic and good. But then after a few days, it, that novelty wears off. And then like we were like really like looking uh, uh, gaunt and looking very uh, hungry and starving. And then finally our, uh, the pastor, the mission team leader said, okay, you guys need to be fed a little bit better. So um, uh, the, the, the bunch of us uh, went far away. And that, they have this um, uh, uh, once a week type of uh, market that was opening. And they picked a nice, in, in their eyes, um, a fat goat, a live goat. And then they brought to the mission base. And then, um, thankfully, we had this um, a Maasai man who was a believer. A guy named, I think his name was Jeremiah, if I recall correctly. He looks look around and he looks around and all the boys and the ladies are kind of looking at from the like this like what what are these what are they gonna do? But then he he had this like a knife ready and then he said, um, I don't know why, but he says, any of you want to give a try? <laughs> and this guy, um, one one college student, he was from Pennsylvania, I think it was a Penn State student. Like we, I mean, you know, we're all bashful. Like we don't, I don't, we don't know what he's asking. But then one goes, like, I'll do it. He like raises his hand. So the, this Maasai, a Christian man, he hands the knife to the, this guy. And uh, this will be a little bit gruesome, okay? Um, but but I, have a po- I have a reason I'm, I'm going about doing, talking about this in a very de- uh, descriptive way. But this uh, young man grabs the knife, okay? Grabs the knife. And then, and then the man, Maasai man said, make sure you make it quick, okay? As a less painful as possible for the animal. But then this boy, this college student from Penn State University, he has never done of uh, never done anything about butchering or killing a uh, uh, this goat. Um, and then what he did was uh, he goes no problem. And then he he goes into it. But then he botches it. He just made some cuts, and then it is a uh, excuse me, but bleeding. But then the animal is still suffering, and like all the ladies are like oh, and then and we guys are going like we couldn't even see. Except you kind of like watch it like this, like oh. And then we're yelling at his name, come on, come on, like that. We're yelling, come on, finish him, finish him. Like, <laughs> but the, I think he was in shock. He was in shock, like, what did I do? <laughs> like, <laughs> so Masai, the Christian man, he gently, quickly grabs the, uh, mic, uh, the, the not, not microphone, but the knife, <laughs> takes the knife away from him, and then does the work. And it was, he was so good at it. And then he starts, like, skin it, and then comes over with all the meat pieces, and they go, wow. And then that evening, we ate very well. But anyway, <clears throat> why am I saying this? Imagine Solomon had to do not once, but 1,000 times. That is, we talk about all-out worship to God, 1,000. Now, you may say, oh, maybe he had some official's help, or other priest's help. Of course, he probably did, right? But still, can you imagine that? It was expensive to do that many animal sacrifices. Not only that, it was very time-consuming, and it was very elaborate. And can you imagine, every time he's doing it, he has to put his heart into it. Whenever you are doing that, you, you just have to put your heart into it. And as he's doing it, can you imagine the heart of Solomon? Yeah. Maybe he, had, he understood everything about what vicarious substitutionary atonement that this sacrifice really represents ultimately through the coming Messiah all the way or not all the way. We don't know. But as he's doing it, he's saying to God, God, I offer my heart to you. I offer my heart to you. Can you 
think with me? Can you feel the heart of this young king? That's what he is doing. So his offering was a genuine worship. For him, I'm going to do it 1,000 times. Not just 10, which would have been already great. But 100, it was beyond what was called for. People, that is what truly a true sacrifice we, if, you, if you are worshiping God just within your convenient uh, comfort zone, sometimes that may not be a worship to God. Because worship has a what? Sacrificial element. Just like Jesus when he gave himself ultimately as an obedience to God and for the salvation of us, it was sacrificial. To what degree? All of himself. And this young boy king, he's doing just that. And we are reminded of some other examples of, of a worship when, uh, uh, when Jesus commanded and complimented them. Like that poor widow, she had only two copper coins, but that was all she had as she was entering the temple. And Jesus commanded her and gave it a, a, a pointed out as a role model worship. Or that Mary, along with her uh, sister Martha, and the, the, the brother Lazarus, they were just a faithful followers of Jesus Christ. But Mary, right before the, the death of Jesus Christ, he, she would really break that very expensive alabaster jar of perfume oil and pouring up upon Jesus Christ. There are a bunch of, of, you, of you guys who are married. I knew you 11 years ago when you were married. And now you're married. Hallelujah. Praise God. God is good. Amen. <laughs> Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you're single. Be faithful to the Lord and may the Lord God bless you. The good lifetime, uh, life part time partner as I talked about that one uh, morning this past uh, retreat. But um, I got married rather late, uh, seven years ago at the age of 37. My roommates, um, these temporary roommates were praying that I'll get a permanent roommate. Some of them are fasting. Wow, I had such amazing godly roommates. Would you fast for your roommate who's not getting married? But my roommates did. I'm so glad, uh, appreciative of that. But here's my mom, and she was always praying and not only talking to God all the time, but also talking to me almost every day or every other day, whatever. So, I, do you want to get married, son? Do you want to get married, son? And I'm the, like the oldest among three brothers, so you know, a lot of pressure. But then when I turned 37, and I think um, I Pastor DL and other, uh, some of you are at their wedding up in Northern Virginia, but... Um, uh, but right before the wedding, when I met my wife, Eileen, you know, we kind of knew each other many years prior, you know, just a very platonic relationship. But then we were reintroduced by our parents and by her parents. And then within like six months, we ended up getting married. But then between meeting for the, the person for the first time and then uh, actual wedding day, there's some important um, um, uh, uh, the time mark uh, event that has to happen. It's called a proposal. Okay. And... Um, so here I am, you know, I'm trying to propose to this um, uh, lady, Eileen, who up to that point is uh, my girlfriend. Now she's going to be my fiance. But then, um, so I had, I, had, I had planned all these things. But then what proposal involves is a little bit of planning, or actually a lot of planning. And then, um, but also you have to have, at least here in America, uh, that, that uh, what is that, the engagement ring. Here I am, economically, I mean, my I, I, my father is rich in the sense my heavenly father is rich, but I'm a poor pastor, right? I don't have all the money. But then what I could really come together, I mean, like, it, it was 
like, you know, I'm like tightening my belt and like I'm not eating out and I'm just eating maybe rice and water or something like that for a few days with some exaggeration. I'm like really like saving my money. I did that weeks and weeks and months and then like really like tightening, literally tightening the belt. And then I saved the money and then went to the jewelry with whom I had been communicating and picked up the ring. It was like a whatever cut, I forget that, that solitaire, I think that's what it's called. And then um, looked good to me. And I, I'm hoping that it'll look good to her as well. And I got that. And a couple of my buddies, uh, uh, Pastor Dale knows of them as well. They are dear buddies who are up in Northern Virginia. They came along with me. They were like my wingmen. And then we went to what's called the Franklin Roosevelt um, uh, a memorial there, FDR memorial up in uh, D, uh, D.C. area. It's like a beautiful waterfalls. It's like a national park system. It's like a lot of waterfalls and statue of uh, FDR and everything. But then um, nighttime there, it was like, early spring, but it was so cold, and then it was getting so cold, and to the point where we were like, how come Eileen's not showing up, Eileen's not showing up, because we had all made all the plans so that Eileen's uh, Bible study group girls would bring her uh, to, that, to that location, saying, oh, you know, somebody needs a ride, uh, or something like that, they were coming with some excuses, but eventually she showed up, and then uh, I asked her, um, um, you know, she wants to do that three-legged race with me, you know, like you, you will towards God. You know, yeah. I know it's so, I know it's very corny and weird, but to us it was very romantic. Yeah. <laughs> but when we, when when we did, when I did that, you know what? Uh, within or maybe beyond my ability, that ring, which is just a symbol, yeah, just a symbol, but um, it was beyond my ability. That sacrificial element was there. And when she saw that and got that, and she kept on looking at it the whole evening because we, a bunch of us, now after that, we went to a near, nearby restaurant and we were eating, and then she kept on looking at it. Wow. And then, like, days after that, like, she would ask me, like, how did you manage to get it? Like, I, I, maybe she was trying to figure out if I won a lottery or something like that. Like, people, when we worship God, yeah, somebody so dear to you, someone who... We do not deserve to know, even utter the, 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 the name, our Jesus Christ. When we come to worship God together like that, there has to be that genuine sacrificial element. And this man, Solomon, did just that. Let's go to quickly to the set, uh, second aspect about his worship. Solomon's worship was an expression of his dependence on God. We worship Purely foremost because God is worthy, okay? We worship God because He is worthy. But there is an element because we are approaching God saying, God, I need you more than ever. I need you more than ever. You are worthy of my trust. You are worthy of my faith. You are worthy of my dependence and reliance. God wants us to depend on Him. God wants us to have Him at the center of our life. God wants us to make Him the main senior consultant of our life. And a lot of times we have this mentality because of our culture or our sinful nature that we have this mentality that, oh, maybe church needs me or maybe Christians need me. Maybe God needs me. But hello, we have to really clarify this and make this clear. It's not so much, it's not so much that oh, God needs us, but we rather need God. And when God asks, verse 5, uh, we're told that um, he appeared and, uh, at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever 
uh, you want me to give you? What is that saying? That, that God was pleased and God was happy and God understood the nature of Solomon's uh, uh, worship. So God is asking Solomon in a vision, you have done these sacrifices to me. Now what is that you want? And Solomon's response is what? Please give me a discerning heart to govern your people properly. That was Solomon's response. Here, through Solomon's interaction with God and his uh, words, we are reminded that through worship, we are expressing our dependence on, onto the Lord. We do it daily as you have a personal uh, worship time, devotion time before him in, through prayer and the personal time of, of reading the word and meditating on the word of God. And as we come to God like this, you went through a week long of study, work, or other things. And sometimes there were things that you have forgotten. But we come to God so that we can once again acknowledge God. God, I choose to depend on you this, these coming days. That's what we are doing when we are coming to the Lord every Sunday. People, Sunday is not the end of the sort of like unwelcome end of the weekend. But rather, Sunday for us is the what? First day of the, of the week, each week. That's how the scripture describes. First day, the Lord's day. We are saying, God, I dedicate myself before you like this on this Sunday so that I am in turn committing unto you the rest of the week ahead of me. It is very important that we, we depend on God in this manner. I see a lot of students um, who were very faithful during their college years or during their high school years, but maybe they go, go to a college where there's the not easier place to worship or they go to some other places uh, because of the, the job opportunities that, uh, that are ahead of them, but they stop worshiping us somehow. When they were going through some difficult times, they were crying out to the Lord and they were praying to Him and they were faithful to the Lord God. But then when they got the job of their dream or they get into the graduate school of their choice, somehow with all the excuses, oh, I'm too busy or I go next week or I'll try to do it all. I, can't, I still haven't found the right church. They come up with all the legitimate or not so legitimate excuses and they somehow put, give God the leftover time or leftover attention. Give God your foremost, first, first of your time, a first batch of your time and of your attention. We need to do that. If you put the Lord God at the forefront of your life, then he will lead and guide you. We need to stop trying to live our life as if we can do things on our own. You know, that concept of American pioneer, that individualism is in many ways a great, but then that can be somehow that can go off tangent where we begin to simply trust upon ourselves, trust upon our ability. We need to stop trying to live our life as if we can do everything on our own well. We need to stop trying to save this world on our own as if we can do something, make a true difference without God's help. At the end of the life, you will be looking back your life. And is this what you want to say? I've done this, I've done that. So many of my colleagues like me, my clients think greatly of, of me. But does God know me? Does God know how I have lived for him? We do not want to have any lingering questions as we come near the end of our earthly life. Jesus said, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? He's um, 
speaking to us. What good is it if you ace all your classes and bring about successful business, but somehow you have forfeited your soul? God wants you to succeed in spiritual areas and other areas of your life. Finance, business, uh, academics, everything. However, bring Christ at the forefront of your life and the center of your life. And here, Solomon, this young boy king, he's doing just that, seeking to do that. He wants to worship God before he starts his kingship. He's saying, God, I'm a king in the eyes of the world, but you are my king, Lord. This is what a true heart of worship is. Not just the singing here in the auditorium, but as we express to God our dependence on Him. Third aspect about Solomon's worship is this. It was pleasing and acceptable before God. It was pleasing and acceptable before God. We see that verse 10. Um, we're told here. Mm, oh, verse 10. Yeah, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Instead of other things that God could have granted him. But he simply said, God, I need discernment. I need wisdom. I, I want to depend on you. Grant me your guidance. Be my director, captain of my life and of my governing of your people. This, the, the people, the nation that I'm in charge of, I'm just a caretaker. You are the owner of these people. Help me, Lord. And that attitude, that heart of worship that Solomon had was very much pleasing before God. When we are worshiping the Lord God, we do it by ourselves at times when we have a personal daily devotion or corporately like this. We're not here to please anybody else. We are here to simply worship the Lord God. As long as our worship is pleasing and acceptable before Him, that's all that matters. What I said to my wife as I was proposing to her, it may sound corny, cheesy, or whatever, right? But as long as She's pleased as long as she accepts it. That's all that matters. Let's not forget that. And at times, this understanding will so free you. If you have your eyes on Jesus and all you're caring about is, I want to really love him. I want to really go deeper in my love and passion for him. Then everything becomes joyful. There's no comparison of yourself with other people. There's no trying to please other people's wishes. But you're not playing those games, but you're just here worshiping the audience of one, as um, one author said, Jesus Christ. So we need to seek to really please Him and Him alone. And Solomon, um, his worship was it. In, was so pleasing and acceptable before God. So those are the three aspects that I just uh, shared with you, right? It was very genuine and sacrificial, and then it was an expression of a dependence unto the Lord, and it was his uh, worship was uh, pleasing and acceptable before God. That, but then here's a fourth one. We wish we could say Solomon's worship was a wonderful, steadfast to the end. But those of you who know his life, You know the you, you understand what I'm about to say. That the fourth thing about Solomon's worship is this: Solomon's worship to God ceased in the latter part of his life. You uh, you go to uh, you don't have to go to, but let me just look at this one portion from a few chapters later in chapter 11. But this is how 
the scripture describes his life. <clears throat> Chapter 11 in 1 Kings, it says, King Solomon, however, it's uh-oh, something's that happened, about to happen or happened here, right? King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, his first wife, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So what we are seeing is this, that um, Solomon who loved God during his early part of years, but now other things begin to compete for Solomon's attention. That in this case, Solomon's weakness, weak spot was women. And it's, this is how it describes verse 3. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led them astray. No, the Bible doesn't say, speak against um, interracial marriage. But here in the Old Testament, Israelite people were not to marry people of other uh, groups because they were worshippers of other gods. There are positive examples of uh, interracial marriage, such as um, uh, uh, um, Ruth, who would become the grandmother, great-grandmother of King David. She was a Moabite, but she turned and gave up or turned away from her born God-worshipping and idol worship, and she became a member of Jewish faith community. So there are some positive, few examples like that. But here, as a general rule, Israelite people were to stay away from this interracial marriage where these people will bring wrong kinds of false gods. Do you see that? And Solomon, he was so wise, he was so smart. But he ends up tripping over this issue. He wasn't wise enough to discern this keep himself from avoiding this pitfall. Every person, one way or the other, we have a weak spot. But this smart and wise Solomon did uh, something very dumb and actually very damaging for himself and for his nation and for his people. That he ended up inviting these foreign women along with themselves. They brought foreign idols, false gods. And that goes directly against the foremost commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That was the uh, first of the Ten Commandments. Idol worshiping, that's what was the problem. Now, Solomon could have excused that. Many people may not have thought much of uh, what Solomon was doing because he was simply following the pattern of the world during his time. As Solomon was, was really the overload and very powerful king slash emperor of the region. Israel became a superpower there. All the other surrounding nations had to send tributes to to Solomon and and the Israelite nation. And he could justify, humanly speaking, saying, hey, when a king is powerful, they end up having more than one wife. But this man is different. His kingship is different. It is God-given kingship. This is God-supported kingship. Solomon somehow in this area, glaringly to his own detriment, compromised. 
we have weaknesses as well. Idols. It may have a different shape, different form, different concept than, say, what um, Solomon faced. But sometimes there are blessings from God, say money or academics. Those are good things. We should be taking care of those. But then somehow along the way, they become our idol. We should have some kind of hobbies. They can be very recreational and very helpful. However, they become our obsessions. You know, I always tell students, nicely remind our students, hey, make sure your study breaks stay as study breaks. But you know how college students are with a lot of time? They, they say, oh, they study like for 15 minutes maybe and go, oh, I need a study break. And they have like a three-hour long study break. And they go like, oh, I'm tired. I have to go to sleep. I'll study tomorrow. Yeah. And that becomes a sort of bad habit here where that having fun or relaxing or you know, hanging out with the buddies, which are good in themselves, but then they end up having a wrong place or wrong expressions. This is what Tim Keller, well-known pastor, says about idols, idols that we face in America as Christians. How does someone identify their idols? Look at their daydreams. When you don't have to think about something, like when you're just waiting for, for the bus, where does your mind love to rest? Or look at where you spend your money most thoughtlessly. Also, if you take your most uncontrolled emotions, all the guilt that you cannot get rid of. That's where you will find your idols. Some uh, pastoral suggestions as we, uh, as I'm wrapping up this, okay? Uh, four things about worship. Quickly, uh, one is we worship God all the time. I said in, my, in the course of my speaking that Sunday worship is very important, but we worship God all the time. Number two, we worship God on Sundays with fellow worshipers. Unless you're really sick or unless you have a certain job where you are on call. There are certain um, excuses, right? Then uh, 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 legitimate excuses. Unless you have those, you should be on Sundays worshiping the Lord God. I remember when I was a seminary student, there was this um, huge uh, uh, movie theater on the way to the church that I was um, helping out and uh, attending during my seminary years, three years. Every time I go down there, like the, our worship service was like around one o'clock or so. So um, um, as I'm driving there, the movie theater parking lot is like packed, packed with all those cars. And I'm saying, what are these people doing there? I don't think they have a worship service going on in that movie theater. For us Christ followers, if you're a genuine Christ follower, on Sunday, you should be a part of a worshiping community. Very important. So we come to God. Thankfully, unlike the Old Testament times when we, where we, uh, which involved the animal sacrifice, we now come to God with songs and prayer, scripture reading, sermon message time, confession of our faith and repentance, and then collection of our offerings and tithes. We come to the Lord God and we say, God, you've been good to us. Thank you for watching over us through the mountains and valleys. And thank you for the strength you give us as we Press on until we see you face to face. That's what every Sunday worship should be. And then we worship God by ourselves when we are alone with him. Personal devotion time before the Lord, and we call it quiet time or time alone with God. We do that. Fourthly, we worship God through all that we do. Times of work, times of study, times of leisure, times of rest. 
everything, if we have Christ at the center of our heart, they become worship to the Lord God as well. Some of you heard about the name Brother Lawrence. He was like a cook in a monastery. You know, many monks or abbots in various monasteries during the, um, those like a, a, a prayer, a holiness movements back in old days, we don't know of those people, but we hear about Brother Lawrence because he, during his times at monastery, he did two things. One was that he would jot down daily uh, uh, reflections and, and blessings. And then sometimes people would ask him for advice or prayers through letters, and he, he would reply. So there is a collection of that. And it's like a kind of thin book called The Practice of God's Presence. Practice of God's Presence. That's a, there's a modern uh, version, a print, print, print out version of that. Second thing he did during the monastery years was what? He was a cook. Yeah. Many of you did some cooking, right, at the retreat, right? Guess what? You were following the footstep of Brother Lawrence. And I'm sure you were doing it, but let me remind you. You know what Brother Lawrence was doing? Um, wasn't there a movie uh, that, uh, with that guy, actor, Jack Black, whatever? He was like a, you know, like a wrestler slash cook, whatever. Wasn't that like that? You know what I'm talking about? Just imagine that. Brother Lawrence was doing that 350 years ago in this obscure monastery. And these monks are hungry too. They probably complain about the food and all that. But Brother Lawrence, you know what he did? Yeah. I like to eat, but, you know, just about everyone likes to eat, but then not, that, not everyone likes to prepare food. How about you have to prepare for like dozens of people all the time? But Brother Lawrence, as he was cooking, preparing, and serving, he did it not as a chore, not as a duty, but as a worship to God. Year after year after year. And as he was doing that, he was practicing the presence of God. Maybe some of you here, you know what? You're kind of dreading tomorrow. You know that Monday blue? is so blue. Yeah. yeah I mean, you're dreading it like, oh, no. Yeah. And you have some difficult things ahead of you this week at work, at school, at home. So many other things are clamoring for your attention. You and I, let us bring a little bit of Jesus and ask God for that grace and mercy, for us to see him, feel him, just like Brother Brother Lawrence did as he was doing all those chores in the monastery kitchen. Invite him, God, I do this as a worship to you. As I'm cutting these things, as I am you know, picking up my students, and as I am preparing food, or I'm feeding them, or, or take classes, or, or deal with customers, some wonderful, many not so wonderful. Lord, ultimately, this is a worship to you, worship to you. And you will experience more of Jesus starting tomorrow. There are many people in the Bible who are mentioned um, in the scripture, but just about all of them, every one of them, were not perfect worshipers. Many started well, but they had a rather sad ending, finish. Even David in the Bible, a man after God's heart, you know what happened to him at the end. Or Solomon, whom I mentioned this uh, morning. Or Hezekiah, considered one of the greatest kings of Israelite people. He also failed near the end of his life. Or Josiah, the king of great reforming work. But he also let God and let people down. They were all imperfect worshipers. But then we are reminded one who was the perfect worshiper, Jesus Christ. 
He came and showed us how to worship in two ways. Number one, he became the perfect priest. Number two, he became the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 7 says, um, Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Like our Jesus is still interceding for us. He hasn't stopped being a perfect priest before on our behalf in the presence of God. But not only that, you know what Jesus did as a perfect priest? He offered a sacrifice. And what was the sacrifice? His very self. He became the sacrifice. Offering his own self as a sacrifice. Hebrews 9.12 says, He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. At times you're discouraged. At times you are tired. At times you are feeling forgetful. And you don't have the motivation. May the Lord Jesus graciously Touch your heart with his scarred hand, the very scars inflicted in order to save you and me, to bring us closer to God and open the way to our Heavenly Father and to usher us into the family of God. May this Lord God help us to worship him. And all the other things we do in the church and outside of the church, serving each other, witnessing about Jesus Christ, let us invite Jesus as the recipient of our worship, object our love, and may, this, may that be true for you this year, 2013, and until we see Jesus face to face. Hallelujah. Let's take a moment to reflect and think, um, and I'm going to turn over the microphone to our Pastor DL, and he's going to continue to lead us. And um, I apologize that time went a little bit long maybe. I don't know what time you guys exactly end. Um, but take a moment, um, and then those of you who have to pick up your children and so forth, you're excused. But um, I'm going to ask the pastor DL to lead us. Dear God, we invite your presence right now as we think about your sacrifice. Come, Holy Spirit, be gracious. Lord Jesus, we invite you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, amen.